I got some weird looks over here when I came out. I saw him. I shook his hand. I hugged him. He didn't tell me he was sick. And those of you who are germaphobes are starting to get a little bit of a cold sweat back here. I want to take a bath in this stuff right here. You're worried that I am sick and I'm here, but I just wanted you to know it's okay. I'm not sick. You know, we, uh, we joke a lot about Purell around our office because uh, Jamie Parker, who is our worship director, is a germaphobe. Um, he's terrified of germs. And in prepping for this message, Jamie hacked into my slides. And so late in the week, I found this, his own big idea, which says that Jamie is not a germaphobe. Jamie is germ aware, <laughs> which I think is a load of malarkey, but that's beside the points. But this is that season where as you go to the store or you go out in public, you see people wearing these kinds of masks. And I see them, and we all kind of do this thing we don't talk about, which is we go the other direction. And last week I was at the store, and I, was, uh, I, was, I had checked out, I got my stuff, and I was walking away, and I saw this woman in line, and she had a mask on. And my brain just started going places. I said, well, you covered your face. What about your hands? Did I touch the things that you touched? Did I buy the things that you already touched and looked at? And I just started getting a, my own version of cold sweat. You know, I started getting my own version of like, I'm going to get sick. Um, but it's interesting that during this time of year, as we begin to go through cold and flu season, that we begin to think about germs and sickness and those things getting close to us in ways that we don't throughout the rest of this time of year. And there's an interesting corollary between this image and this image right here. Because this image, the, the nativity, the manger, is the image that, that comes to mind for so many of us. We think about the idea of God coming near. God stepping into our existence. God coming near to us. And there's a theological term for this. And the big theological term is called the incarnation. And incarnation is the doctrine that God assumed human form in the person of Jesus Christ existing as completely both God and man. So we believe this, the significance of Christmas. It isn't that Santa comes or that there are decorations. It's that God took on human form. And he came in and he made his dwelling among us and he came near us. That he came to be a part of, of the human experience and that he got as close to us as he could. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But as I began to think about this experience and this truth this week, I actually went back to a place that we were last week in the message, back to the Garden of Eden. You know, the Garden of Eden was a place that was filled with wonders. Man was there, woman was there, God was there, and it was an amazing place. There was no sin, there was no pain, there were no lines, there were no sickness, there was no flu shots, there was none of those things. There was no political posts on Facebook. It was a great, great place. But as wonderful as that place was, something changed. Something changed radically when humanity made the choice to reject God and brokenness entered into the world. And they had an experience then that I think isn't that different from the experience many of us have now. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, this is what we read. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And we're going to stop here for a second. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God coming near to humanity at Christmas is not all that different from God coming near humanity in the garden. And in this instance, the man and the wife, his wife hid, which isn't that different from many of our experiences. Let's keep going. In verse 9 it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, I think the truth about Christmas is that many of us, if we were to think about God coming and sitting next to us, if you have a seat next to you, I want you to imagine for a second that God comes and sits right next to you. There are many of us that are not jumping for joy. We're terrified that God would get that close to us. That God would know that much about us. And that's because of the brokenness that we feel and the shame that's connected to that. See, for many of us, if you were to think about God coming near to you and God knowing everything about you, everything that you thought yesterday, everything you did this week, all the things you're thinking about the future, all of your thoughts and feelings and attitudes about people that you're going to see next week for Christmas, all the things this week has included, and God is going to come sit right next to you, knowing all of that. For many of you, your first thought is not celebration. Your first thought is fear. And this is why our experience at Christmas is not that different from Adam and Eve's in the garden. And this is why, for so many of us, why this season is so hard. We've said in this series that what we're trying to do is awaken wonder, and to do that, we have to overcome familiarity. And I love what Dallas Willard says about familiarity. He says, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, and unfamiliarity breeds contempt. The truth is, some of you have heard the Christmas story so many times, you're actually not familiar with it. You're unfamiliar with it. You've lost sight of what really happens there. And because of that, you treat it with contempt. You've heard it all before. You've seen it all before. And so in this series called Awakening Wonder, we are trying to, in some ways, introduce or reintroduce you to this story that is at the heart of this season and our celebration here. And our big idea is this today. Knowing Jesus awakens wonder. And I know those of you looking at your hand out going, that isn't a big idea, Scott. Yes, it is. I changed it on Friday. Um, <laughs> so if you're type A like me and there's blanks you're not going to fill in, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. But this is actually the big idea that I want to talk to you about today, that knowing Jesus awakens wonder. And today I want to talk to you about what knowing Jesus looks like, because it was that thing back in the garden, knowing God and God coming near to human people, that actually created that fear and anxiety and that shame, that desire to run from him. And yet if we're going to experience wonder awakened in us this Christmas season, it's going to come, not because we celebrate, not because we pick up traditions again, not because we decorate, it's going to come because we actually know and encounter Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you were here the first week in this series, we talked about the fact that for so many of us along the way, we've lost wonder. And without wonder, it's difficult to worship Jesus. Last week, we talked about the wonder of creation. And as somehow God intended it, we had amazing opportunities all week long to wonder at creation. This week on Thursday, the space station passed as close to the, the earth as it will all year long. We saw the largest meteor shower of the year on Thursday night, and there was an amazing sunrise this morning. 
If you missed all of that or said, bah humbug, you need this series because you have no wonder. (laughs) But we talked last week about the wonder of creation. And today in John 1, we're going to talk about the wonder of the incarnation. And today I'm going to share with you what I call four incarnation realities. And the first reality of incarnation is this, that the incarnation offers a universal invitation, which is widely rejected. The incarnation offers a universal invitation that is widely rejected. Beginning in verse 9 of John 1, this is what we read. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I want to break down this verse for a second with you guys. The, the, the verse begins this idea that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. So the idea of a true light is an indicator that there were actually other lights out there that were false lights. And as John is writing to a Greek world, he's writing to an audience who believes in lots of different gods and lots of different avenues to be reconciled and brought close to God. And he's saying it isn't any of those lights that are going to bring you that it's the true light. This one light, Jesus, is coming into the world to give light to everyone. And this idea is is echoed throughout the scriptures. In Luke 1, this is what we read. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. In Isaiah 9, a verse we come back to all throughout this series, says, those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. This is the central idea of Christmas. It isn't that, that there are presents under the tree and decorations all around. It's that for many of us, we have lived this year in incredible darkness. Darkness that you didn't see coming on January 1. Darkness that you didn't plan being part of your year. And the celebration of Christmas is to those who have walked in darkness. The true light has come into the world and is shining on them and giving them light and providing a source of hope. Just as it isn't just that a true light has come, it comes to give light to everyone. So this light that came into the world, that is the true light, it's actually available to everybody. And this is where the struggle of Christianity is, is Christianity often gets labeled as very exclusive and restrictive. And it is in the sense that Jesus is the only one who's come. Buddha has not come. Muhammad has not come from heaven to earth to give their life for you. Only Jesus has done that. But that light is available to everybody. And you know that because of the Bible in your hand. The Bible is written in English, not in Hebrew or Greek that you are holding. You didn't have to learn Hebrew to become a Christian. You didn't have to learn Greek to become a Christian. You have to learn Arabic to become a Muslim. You have to learn how to read many of those writings of Buddhism in the original language. You have to pick up that culture, but you have to change your culture to become a Christian. Because this light is available to everyone of every language. And this light gives light to everyone. This universal invitation is there to accept and experience the true light. That's one of the reasons why you have these invitations in your, your bulletin today. Not because we just needed to spend some money on printing cost. It's because we believe that the light has come into the world and you have people around you who are living in darkness. 
You have people that you've texted and called and Facebooked and emailed and had coffee and lunch with this year who are living in darkness. And you've heard the grief and the anxiety and the pain this year. And they need to know that light has come into the world to shine on their darkness. And if you've discovered that light, the worst thing you could do is is hold on to it for yourself. The worst thing you could do is to just be selfish with it. The best thing you could do is give it away. And you go, but Scott, I'm going to be rejected. Yeah. Welcome to the life of Jesus. Because it says that to those who he created, they did not know him. And to those who were his own people, they rejected him. So if you experience rejection this year, if you invite somebody to Christmas Eve and they say, no thanks, then you can say to Jesus, hey, I know how it feels. Maybe the best way for you to connect with the experience of Jesus this year is to invite someone to Christmas Eve and them say no. Because then you would experience what God has experienced in coming to earth and giving himself to the world and the world saying, I'm good. I don't need you, Jesus. See, Jesus comes and he offers the world a universal invitation. But that universal invitation is widely rejected. That's the reality of the incarnation. Reality number two. This invitation offers us a place in God's family. This invitation offers us a place in God's family. In Luke, sorry, John 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, there's a bunch who rejected him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this is, this is part of this verse that's going to be difficult for some of you to swallow today. I'm just going to warn you right now. This verse tells us that not everyone who's alive on earth today is a child of God. Not everyone who's alive today is a child of God. And some of you say, well, I'm not a believer in Jesus. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? Well, according to this text, you're not. Because it says that that he gave the right to become children of God, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Those who got the right to become the children of God were those who were born of God. Here's the thing. In God's family, there are no biological children. There are only adopted children. And so if you're stepping into God's family, the only way through is adoption. You say, well, I was born in a Christian family. That's fine. But you weren't born into the family of God. Because you're not born into the family of God through your mom. You're born into the family of God through Jesus. And this is where the double-edged sword of the universal invitation of Jesus and the exclusivity of Jesus, because anybody can come to God, but they have to come through Jesus. And this is why the theme of adoption is such a powerful theme in the scriptures, because it tells us that none of us get to God because of our family or our good works. We only get because of Jesus. That's why I posted this picture of uh, Josh and Katie in our church who've adopted several children over the last couple years. And to be there to celebrate those moments was profound. And those moments pointed to a spiritual reality that they chose Landon and they chose Xander. Xander and Landon didn't choose them. And they chose to adopt them into their family in the same way that God chose to adopt you into his family. And he's offering you an invitation today. But no one else is offering that invitation. Only Jesus. And he is the only one through which you can find a light. He is the only one through which you can find peace. And one of the realities of this season that we know 
is that Christmas may be the most wonderful time of the year, but it's also one of the most loneliest times of the year. It's the reality of this time of year. Depression goes up. Anxiety goes up. Stress goes up. And at a certain point, the decorations come down. At a certain point, you actually have a gap in your calendar. I know it's crazy. You have a night off. You have a moment where your house is dark and quiet. And there's a moment where you feel tremendously alone. There is a moment where that despair comes in. And that's when the good news is most important. That Jesus came so that you would never be alone. You know the last words of Jesus before he went to heaven? He said, and behold, I am with you always. He didn't say, and here's the answer to all of your problems. Here's the answer to everything that'll come your way. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to make life so easy for you. He didn't say, I'm going to give you your best life now. He said, I'm going to give you my presence. I will be with you. And I love you. And I will be with you. And the truth is, for many of us, we have been trying to fill that hole with so many other things. You can fill that hole with people's approval. You can fill that hole with busyness. You can fill that hole with money. You can fill that hole hole with a house and then be lonely in that house you're trying to fill that hole with. This month, I stumbled on a quote that has just wrecked me, and I wanted to share it with you because I like the, the, the presence in my pain. Derwin Gray says, if Jesus knowing your name is not enough to make you feel significant, then everyone knowing your name will never be enough. If Jesus knowing your name and coming for you and giving his life for you and taking on flesh to get close to you is not enough to make you feel significant, then everyone on planet Earth can like your next Facebook post and it won't be. The incarnation is significant because it's this invitation to join God's family. Number three, Jesus gets as close to humanity as he can. The truth of the incarnation is that Jesus comes in and he gets as close to us as we can. He like violates our bubble. If you're a bubble person, you probably seat next to you today between you and other people. But Jesus is a, is a bubble violator. He gets as close to us as, as, he, as we can. And in John 4, 1.14, we read this. It says, and the word, that's John's word for Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, and the word became flesh. This idea is, is that, that God comes and he builds his dwelling or a tabernacle, like in the Old Testament, a tent to come and be with us. I love how in, in the message, Eugene Peterson translates this. He says, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's the idea that God comes in and he gets as close to us as, we, as he can. And there's another place in scripture that kind of explains this further. In Philippians 2, the apostle Paul writes, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the significance of the incarnation. Jesus didn't need to come for himself. He realized that. He didn't come at Christmas for himself. He didn't need to get close to us. We needed him to get close to us. Jesus didn't need to come. It wasn't like, I mean, I wonder what humanity is like. He knew. He didn't need to know what you were like because he made you. Psalms 139 says he knows every hair on your head and he formed you in the inward place. He didn't come so that he could know you. He came so you could know him. And he came so that you might understand the love and care he has for you. And it's hard to wrap your head around what it is like for God to come and be a human. But the closest thing I found is, is this reading from Nancy DeMoss, who said, He took on our human weaknesses, frailties, and limitations. And she explores that in this really cool way. Let's continue. She says, The one who sleep never sleeps became tired. The one who sleeps never, be, never sleeps became tired. Number two, the creator of the oceans of water became thirsty. God had never been thirsty before. And now he's thirsty. The one who fed his people with manna in the wilderness, he became hungry. The one who flung the stars into space, he slept under those stars. The one who inhabited heaven's ivory palaces was born in a borrowed cattle shed. Did you know God had a foot? And little toes. The omniscient God had to learn how to talk and walk. The eternal word of God had to learn how to read. The helper of his people became helpless and dependent. And last one, and the beloved son of God became the rejected son of man. God humbled himself and he laid everything down. So he could get close to you. And for many of us, our response is not this. It's meh. That's why for some of you in this series who I've heard from, this series has been powerful for you because it's reminded you and clarified for you that you have lost your sense of wonder about what God has done. You have looked to the stars and lost the wonder of them. You stopped looking up. And you've lost your wonder about who Jesus is and what he did at Christmas. Because Jesus could have just sent us an email if he wanted us to know some information. He could have just sent us a PDF to download. But he didn't. He didn't send something, he gave something. As Bernard Manning says, Christmas means that God has given us nothing less than himself, and his name is Jesus. He didn't send something, he gave himself. Not because he needed to give himself, because we needed to receive that gift. And that's why we've said in this, in this message that knowing Jesus awakens wonder. When you begin to recognize that God has come close to you and he knows you and you can know him, that begins to awaken wonder within you. And if you think back to that chair that's sitting next to you, that empty chair, It's a reminder that God comes close to you and he knows everything about you. 
and doesn't reject you. Some of you are going to feel rejection in the next seven or eight days by the people who you call family, who know a lot about you, and you can't escape it. Some of you are going to go home, and you hate going home because you're reminded of the past you can't seem to escape. It's the double-edged sword of going home. We just kind of slide back 20 or 30 or 40 years back to who they all thought we were. That's why we left, so we could grow. And the gospel is that, that Jesus comes and he knows all those things and he doesn't reject us. As Scott Saul says, only in Jesus are we fully known and fully loved, thoroughly exposed and never rejected. This is the good news of Christmas, that Jesus comes not to reject you or judge you, but to tell you and show you that you are known in him and are loved. To thoroughly expose your brokenness and show you that in that place, because of what he did, you are not rejected. You can be accepted and embraced. The fourth and final reality of the incarnation is that we discover who God is through knowing Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is the best picture. In John 1.16, this is what we read. For from his fullness, God's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, yet he has made him known. If you want to know what God is like, look and experience Jesus. And John, the guy who wrote this gospel reading, he actually wrote four books in the Bible. Really creative names. John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They weren't, they weren't into branding much in the first century. But he writes in one of his letters in 1 John about why he wrote all this. And in 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I mentioned earlier that, that we read the Bible in English, but this passage was originally written in Greek. And in Greek, they have a lot more words for the words that we use. And these are two of their words. I know you're blown away because most of you can read Greek right now. A couple of you smarty pants are like, I, I know Greek, you know. Um, but these are two Greek words for knowledge. The top one is gnosis and the bottom one is epinosis. And gnosis means abstract knowledge or information. It's like if you're an expert on a, a celebrity or a, a hero of yours. For me, growing up, it was Michael Jordan. I knew everything about him. I knew his dad's name, his mom's name, where he was born, when he was born, what happened when he was in high school. I knew all these things about him. I didn't know Michael Jordan, but I knew a lot about him. I had a lot of gnosis. And so when I was nine and he retired the first time, I bawled. I ran in my bed, I fell in my bed, and I just bawled my eyes out. Not because I knew him, because I knew about him. But epinosis is another Greek word for knowledge, and it means particular knowledge based upon personal experience. This is knowing about something, and this is knowing someone. This is knowing all that you can know about something. It's having expert knowledge. This is having intimate knowledge. And when John says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, he's not trying to give us abstract knowledge. He's saying, I want you to know that. And here's the challenge. Jonathan Merritt says it well. For most of us, the goal isn't to know God. It's to know about God. Here's the challenge in the church today. Lots of people know about God. But they don't know God. There's a huge difference. 
And to illustrate the gap, I want to show you a clip from my favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) Buddy the Elf helps us understand the gap between knowing about, not Santa, God, and knowing God. He wasn't jumping up and down for joy because he knew about Santa. He knew Santa. If you know the movie, he grew up in the North Pole. He was the biggest elf ever. He brought the elf choir down a whole octave. And some of you, when you saw the big idea earlier that said, knowing Jesus awakens wonder, you go, yeah, yeah, Scott, but that doesn't for me. Well, is it possible that knowing Jesus doesn't awaken wonder for you because you've settled not for knowing Jesus, but for knowing about Jesus? And the truth is, knowing about Jesus deadens wonder. And it dulls wonder. Because it turns Jesus from a person who came for us to a subject to be coldly studied. Next slide. Has your Christian life been an accumulation of facts about God? If you grew up in the church, the challenge is, is that you may over the years, in the same way you've collected a lot of Christmas decorations, you've collected a lot, of, a lot of facts about God. You know a lot. You've heard a lot. But there is a huge difference from having a lot of facts about God to knowing him. Because Jesus is not, next slide, an object to be studied. He is a person to be worshipped. Thank you. And the challenge is if you've lost wonder, it's possible you've lost your wonder about the incarnation because you've settled for studying God rather than worshiping him. And the truth is, it is a lot easier to just read your Bible than it is to have a relationship with God. Because if you close the Bible up, okay, I read it, good, move on. But if that reading leads to a relationship, that God is going to begin to call you to do things and work in your life in ways that are going to make you uncomfortable. If you don't believe that, just meet his parents. And I believe some of the loss of wonder in our lives in our church today is we have turned Jesus into a corpse to be autopsied rather than a person to have a relationship with. And when you begin to know that Jesus and all that he's done for you, I believe that wonder will return. I've got a couple next steps for you this morning. And the first one is this. This is going to be a little bit awkward, but I want you to go with me on it. Set aside an empty seat at every meal or meeting you're at this week and imagine Jesus sitting in that seat. That's the Jesus seat. If somebody comes in late, you know, joke with them, they sat on Jesus, you know. But imagine that Jesus is actually present with you. Imagine that he has come near to you whenever you sit down as a reminder that he is near. Number two, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 119.18 and pray for wonder every day until Christmas. Psalm 119.18 says this. Next slide. Open my eyes, God, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, today I want you to open my eyes. Because we said this 
all throughout this series, wonder is not about your experience. It's about your perspective. And so pray every day that God would open your eyes. And then number three, I want to challenge you to reread this passage we've been in for the last two weeks. John 1, 1 to 18, in several different translations to gain a better and greater sense of wonder. If you use your phone for reading your Bible, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app in the uh, Apple App Store or in the Google Play Store. Or if you use your computer, you can go on BibleGateway.com and the comparison is really easy. But sometimes we get so familiar with the way that one translation says it, we need to hear it in our new translation for wonder to come again because we're just too familiar. I want to end the message like this. It is one thing to believe intellectually that God loves you. It is an entirely different thing to live as if it's true. And the hardest piece of my life with God has been believing that God loves me without me needing to perform. And three years ago, around Christmas time, I got asked to write an article for a website I was involved with, and they asked me to write about John 3.16. I was like, oh, seriously? Like the most well-known verse in the Bible? Hasn't that been overstated like for 2,000 years? And I started reading it, and if you know the verse, it begins with, for God so loved. And I didn't get any farther than that. Because it rocked me to my core that Jesus did not come at Christmas time because I deserved it. He didn't come at Christmas time because he was God and he had to do it. He didn't come at Christmas time for me because I'd performed really well as a pastor or a Christian. He sent his son for one reason. He loved me. And God demonstrated his love in this while I was still a sinner. Christ died for me. And until you get the sense and embrace the reality that you are worthy, not because you say you're worthy, but because God loved you and gave Jesus for you, you won't experience wonder. But when you get the sense, like I did that day, that God sent his son because he loved me when I had done nothing to deserve that love, that wonder will come back. Because knowing Jesus awakens wonder. And that's what I want for you. I want you to know Jesus and all that he's done for you. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you performed it, not because your family gave you it as an entitlement, but because he loves you. And when you know that, everything will change. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.